Hey everybody, Chibi here. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for showing us that you care about poetry and getting to know more poets across this country. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, share these episodes, tell a friend, rate and review us wherever you can. And if you want to know more about the things and the initiatives that we are putting in place, you can look us up on Facebook at The Blah Poetry Spot. That is B-L-A-H, The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out on Instagram. That's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, Write Art Out. Thank you so much, and without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Ooh, all right. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another uh, edition of the Black Poetry Spots Presents Words and Shit in Internet performance and conversation with a writer every week so that you can get to know the person behind the poetry. I am joined once again with uh, with my co-host, Eddie Vega, all the way from UT Austin. Is that where you're at today? Uh, it's Mission San Jose, thank you very much. Uh, okay. I was only seeing mm-hmm. Good to see you, Eddie. I'm glad you're here with us. Queen, Queen of the Missions. Queen of the Missions. All right. I'm really excited for today because we've got Mercedes Holtry joining. Mercedes, how are you doing? Hey! <laughs> all the way from Turkey. Yes, all the way from Burke. It's good to see you virtually, of course. It's good to see you too. You have quite an extensive bio that you sent over. So I'm going to clip. You can, I mean, just do what you want with it. You don't have to read the whole thing. It's kind of just what I had on my computer. Your so. official bio, right? So mm-hmm. just for those of you who don't know Mercedes, she she is a poet out of New Mexico. Um, she has been on multiple slam teams. She runs a youth organization down there. She works with the schools and she also runs the um, Slam Burke Revolt. Um, Basically, she is all over town and a very huge and active part of the Albuquerque uh, literary and poetry community. So we're so excited to have her here in our San Antonio virtual meeting, uh, because I think we share a lot of similarities in terms of culture and people and the way we love and communicate with each other. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you guys for inviting me. I'm excited. So, Super excited. So, Mercedes, the way we usually do this is uh, we kick it off by letting you do like three to five poems, do a little feature set for us, and then we'll come back and we'll have a conversation. Okay, sounds good. I will start with something. Um, I'll start with the love poem because this is a love poem that involves, I guess, kind of the love of going out on a Friday night. And I haven't done that since fucking the middle of March because we've been in quarantine. And so I kind of am missing the the dive bars, our little local bars that we usually, you know, um, go to every Friday. And so, yeah, this is, this is kind of an ode to that, but also a love poem combined. So uh, it's called The Color Friday. 
and the uh, I guess the reason that I wrote it was my really good friend Yolanda Wisher from Philadelphia. She's used to be the poet laureate. Uh, she did this writing workshop in which uh, you would pick out a color chip. When you pick out the color chip, you have to write about that color. Uh, so the chip that I picked out, the name of it was called Dirty Martini, and it was like this the olive green color. Um, so I wrote a poem, this poem, to that prompt. So here it goes. Dirty Martini, no baby. You and I are the color of Jägermeister, black licorice, the dark emerald green of the bottle. My head is still spinning and I stopped drinking that shit when I was 23. But you, you are a taste my mouth refuses to get rid of. No chaser, no citrus fruit to sink my teeth in or press my tongue to afterwards. I effortlessly swallow you. I've never been the salted olive green, thin stem sex in the city type drink of a woman, but I think that's why you like me. We're more the color of a Friday night downtown in Albuquerque, decade old Christmas lights, the ones that glow behind a cheap bar, the orange ember of a cigarette flicked outside of launch pad, the bartender's sapphire colored context that match so inappropriately with her Azteca brown skin, the cherry red lowrider bumping South Park Mexican, the charcoal colored smoke of the burnout he does slowly afterwards, the golden luminosity of an elevated Indian pale ale La Fumbre Brewing Company, or the banana gloom of a double white from Marvel, the turquoise necklace the homeless man is trying to slang for five bucks, the indigo sky that fades into a darkness we are not afraid of, my black sharpie covered over scuffed boots and the burgundy red chili stain on your jeans, the canyon colored lipstick Jessica is wearing, the violet bruise Amanda will find when she remembers she fell walking home drunk. The lime green pack of American spirits in Joe's pocket. The booming neon green laughter of all our friends and the warm sandia pink love they have for our love. We're Friday night, baby. But really, my favorite is when we are the color of Sunday, sand skin tangled in rose colored streets, dreaming of the color Friday. That's that first poem. Yay. I've been having to get used to like performing without the audience cues and that's kind of challenging. Um, but we will get through all this awkwardness slowly but surely. Cool. Uh, all right, I'll do this poem. I wrote it um, during quarantine. The prompt was what does survival look like for you personally? And here was my answer. So, survival looks like arroz y frijoles, tortillas, and the guilt trip in my grandmother's voice when I ask her why she saves every scrap of food we leave on our plates. She says, you've never grown up poor. You have no idea what hunger really feels like. Is it weird that my Mexican grandmother tells me it's so American of you to throw away food? And then she points to the painting of the Last Supper hanging above my head and says, Jesus está mirando, which translates to Jesus is watching you. What she means, though, is Jesus is watching you be wasteful. Jesus is watching you be so American, so ungrateful for the beans that freeze just so you have something to eat when there is nothing left to buy in stores. When all of America has hoarded enough to never have to experience a Last Supper, 
I used to think my grandmother was a little obsessive and living in her childhood trauma of poverty and hunger. Now I see that she simply was being precautious because she's known no matter how melting pot this country paints itself to be when it's between a pandemic and her personhood, America will look at her and say she belongs in the fields picking the food we hoard in our refrigerators. She belongs in the grocery stores ringing up the toilet paper we buy in bulk. She belongs on the home front. Isn't that why she chose America to call home in the first place? So she can sacrifice herself to the rest of America and we can throw her a bone and say, maybe we accept you in this country after all. My grandmother knows Americans have no real perception of survival. She is here because struggling in this country is a cakewalk compared to what she survived back home. Survival looks like my grandmother's remedios and firm but nurturing care. There's been an article floating around social media saying natural remedies to fight COVID-19. So when I click it, it's no surprise oregano is the virus's arch nemesis. And I think of the tea my grandmother brews me anytime I'm sick. Canela, limon, miel de abeja, and oregano. She tells me, vas a acabarlo, merceditas. You're going to finish it. So I do. And in all my feverish dreams, I meet face to face with my sickness. I give the virus a big old putazo in the huevos and say, your evil ways are no match for Vicks vapor rub, caldo de pollo, and my grandmother's remedio, puto. Be gone, fool. And when I wake up, I ask my body to remember the remedies so that when my own family is sick one day, I can tell them to finish it. I can tell them with every fiber of certainty and curandisma in my blood. When this is all over, it will feel like a dream and you will wake up feeling better, mija. Survival looks like hope, looks like prayer, looks like ritual. She lights a Virgen de Guadalupe candle every night and prays for the poor, the sick, and the hungry. That means these days she's praying for everyone, not just our own family. I believe her prayers are like magic. She's been praying so much, I think God put her on a VIP list, very important prayer list, so I know they get answered first. Oh, because I feel her prayers all around me. They are a shield and a beacon of light when my vision is covered in darkness. As I scramble through the aisles to find toilet paper and Lysol, but have no look looking among the ghost town that are the shelves, I come across the aisle where candles are found. And just like Juan Diego, I am captured by her beauty and the rose-painted artwork stickered on the glass. I whisper, Don Ancin. I may not go home with what I came for, but I'm glad I found you instead. Looks like you'll be glowing in my house too. My survival is rooted in my grandmother's resilience. It's rooted in the pot of beans I made to last us until next week. It's rooted in the frozen pack of tortillas in the freezer. It's rooted in all the scraps I've started saving a little more graciously. It's rooted in the spices and herbs she keeps hitting in the nooks and crannies of her cocina. It's rooted in her healing hands that I hope I've inherited when the time comes for me to be the matriarch of my own creations. And the candle I lit that's been burning for two days. I pray for everyone's safety. I tell Jesus and God and La Virgen, thank you for blessing us with Mexican grandmothers. They teach us everything we need to know about survival. Cool. That's that poem. And I seriously miss my abuela. I call her Chata. It's kind of like her nickname. Um, so I call her Chatita. And she actually messaged me the other day. And I was like, oh, I miss you. 
I wish I could see your face, but I'm not going over there because we have to protect our elders and shit, you know? So that's that's how that's going. Um, all right, I'm gonna do one more because that one was kind of a long one. I feel like that was probably like two poems. Um, so I'll do uh, one more poem. And then we can get to talking, talking shit or talking words and shit. A lot of people have like, came to me at some point or like, you're really intimidating. I get that a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's just cause I'm yelling when I'm doing poems. So people sometimes are like, you're pretty intimidating or you know, you're, you're always like so tough or um, you seem really unapproachable sometimes. And so uh, this poem I wrote because I'm like, if people only knew how soft I really fucking am. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I'm tough when I have to be, but for the most part, I think people's perception of you isn't always the same as your perception of yourself. And so this poem is called Relearning How to Be Soft. It is called Confidence. And because I'm a woman, people think it's intimidation. But if I was a dude, right, they'd be like, you're just really confident. Um, so yeah, fuck that noise. But anyway, this is called Relearning How to Be Soft. I cry when I see thoughtful wedding proposals on Facebook. I cry when I think of lost dogs. I choke up at father-daughter dances at wedding receptions. I love hearing babies laugh. I get goosebumps hearing the thunder and lightning in grandmother's voices as they say grace at family holidays before we sit down to have a meal. I'm thankful when prayers are answered. I'm thankful when they're not. I'm thankful I'm being prayed for. I like seeing the underdog win. I secretly root for them even when they're up against my team. Most days I am an underdog. Most days I fall short. Most days nobody really understands. So I have the audacity to label myself misunderstood. Some days I label myself no good. Some days no good is good enough. I get tired of pleasing people. I'm a people pleaser, but I ain't no doormat. And I have my mama to thank for that. I'm more of an open door not to be mistaken for an open book. I won't let you read everything about me. I need to trust you first. By open door, I mean, I'll literally hold the door open for you. And I don't expect you to say thank you. I'm just a firm believer that making people's lives a little easier throughout the day makes the world seem like it's not on fire all of the time. I ain't no firefighter, but if I can extinguish one person's pain with the poem, you bet your ass I'll write that poem over and over again. I'll write a poem for you, but really it'll be for me. I don't know if that makes me selfish or selfless. I like friends who go on roller coasters with me. I like friends who would punch my name right out your jealous mouth. I have friends and they are all gunpowder and firecrackers, sage crystals and brujeria, old dirt roads and riverbanks, Zia tattoos and chimichangas that all sups, all tooth and cackle when we laugh. I have friends and make, they make the best mirrors. Reflections aren't always beautiful, but they're real. And really, I dream of looking in a mirror and seeing the ugliest parts of myself. I almost become unrecognizable. That's one of my deepest, darkest fears. See, I shared something I don't always share out loud. You're welcome. Maybe I am an open book. Maybe I swear too much. Maybe I chew with my mouth open. Maybe I'm a mama's girl and my dad's first real dance with love, by the way. I love my parents' love story. By love story, I mean they divorced when I was 12, but if they hadn't, I wouldn't know the beauty of letting something go so that it can grow into what it's truly meant to be. That's real love in my book. 
All this to say, I've got real love all around me. I'm not ashamed to be soft or broken or wounded, but I used to be because often too many times girls like me get called weak if we aren't being tough every second of the day. I get tired of being chingona, but someone's got to do it, you know? I know you see me and you see hard-headed, thick skin and a mouth with a switchblade for a tongue, always with my fist in the air and the loudest voice in the room, even when I'm trying not to be. I want you to know that I cry in the shower weekly. I hear up when I hear Tennessee whiskey on the radio. I'm so very angry at all the things I cannot control, but I ask for the serenity to accept them. I've been taught how to move forward and yet it's always the hardest lesson for me. I believe that all things happen for a reason. I believe I'm here for a reason, learning how to cut open a little more each day on the inside, y'all. I am all love. I am loved. I love with everything I have in this life. I love that I'm alive. Cool. Yay. Those are my poems. My dogs are going to be barking in the background. Sorry. Hey. It's okay, they're part of the family. We love them. Yeah. All right, okay, we all need that. Thank you. That, that was quarantine oh, fire. Quarantine fire. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you said you used that y'all in your poetry, and uh, I saw a tweet the other day and said, uh, those of you who say y'all in your Twitter post, do you actually say that in conversation? I, I do. I don't mean to. I try not to because people, they're like, y'all, are you from Texas? And I'm like, no, but it's just shorter than saying you all. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know. No, I, I took off the hook of that, that tweet, just saying that, because I was like, yeah, I use it. That's why I, that's why I like that. You know? I, yeah, I say it. It's very real, is what I'm saying. It's very, it comes from a, from a deep point. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that's something that's so distinct to that I feel is so distinct to Southern writers is we, in poetry, we write how we talk, you know? It's we not, do. It's not like we have a, a like a, a poet voice and then like our regular voice, like we just, we just write with the words that we use in our everyday life. Facts. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> Can you talk about some of your interesting, uh, Choice of words, especially in that last poem, uh, the, the the cuss words that you use, which aren't the usual type of cuss words that we're used to hearing, like in poetry books. I mean, the second, the second, oh, the, the chingona. <laughs> That's a yeah. cuss word I think I have in there. Um, no, I the putazo in there too. I love that. Oh, putazo is in the <laughs> other one. Yeah. Well, putazo is like a kick to the balls, as far as I've been taught. Um, and I just couldn't think of any other good word for that. Like, what's the synonym for kicking the balls? Can you think of one? I don't know, right? So I was like, a putazo, right? Like a boom. Or a like, just, just like a, I could have used chingaso, I guess, but <laughs> I feel like chingaso is overplayed a little bit. So I went yeah, with putazo. Like a sape is just not, you know, like it's not strong enough. You know? Yeah, it's like if I'm kicking a virus's ass in my dreams, I need something like strong, you know. So I just felt like that was an appropriate word. Like, that was totally appropriate. It's totally appropriate. It's your word, man. That that poem like like drew at my like culture core that I was like I need to go get some tequila right. Ah! 
Oh my God, I'm jealous. My little nopalito shot glass. I haven't, I haven't drank. Well, I, I'm lying. I, I drank on Monday, but I don't have any alcohol in my house. So I'm fucking jealous. Yeah. I'm like, I need tequila. And I was drinking tequila on Monday and it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, uh, we can't live like that. Um, I want to address something that you, you mentioned uh, in between your poems was this, this idea of like performing during quarantine and the adjustment that you've had to make to that. Like what kind of events have you been participating in? How have you been active in your poetry performance? And like, you know, how have you had to adjust? Um, yeah, I've, I've done a couple of like interviews or um, like readings, I guess, like with friends. And uh, it's been weird. Like, again, there's no audience cues. I think um, a big part of poetry or spoken word, especially like slam poetry is like, the audience is key in how you your performance comes out. I think, you know, the energy in the room is what drives you a lot of the time. And so it's hard to like gather energy from a screen, um, especially when you can see yourself in this corner right here. And you're like, holy shit, do I look so awkward doing poetry? Or like, you know, all your little self-conscious thoughts come to play. And you're like, well, geez, like this is such a weird, Cause usually you just get up on the mic and you do it and you're like, fuck it. However it comes out is however it comes out. And the audience will drive me in some ways or the energy won't. And it is what it is. Right. But with a, with a screen, you're even like more left out. I feel like just kind of swimming, treading water. Cause you're like, where, where are the cues? You know, do people like that line? And then it's hard reading and then looking at the comments that people are chatting at the same time. So you're like, I'm, you know, you have no idea. Yeah, how it's gonna turn out either. <laughs> yeah, it's been weird. I think it goes back to your attribute of being like a chingona, you know, like because like when there's an audience, like you get immediate feedback, right? But in this, there is no immediate feedback, so you just gotta do you and just be like, I know I'm confident in my shit, and y'all exactly. <laughs> yeah, and even then, I was like, I feel like I sound like such an awkward turtle reading these poems, but fuck it, it is what it is, and we're we're here for a good time, not a long time, so. That's that's how it is. That's how it goes. Hey, so uh, what's new in your poetry life besides from uh, from being quarantine? Um, I applied to be the poet laureate of Albuquerque. So, yeah. When did they figure that out? I don't know. They said they would announce the winner in like the end of June because of quarantine. It got pushed back. We were supposed to know like the beginning of May um so we'll see what happens I'm not I mean I, there's a lot of other really good applicants um a lot of really dope people applied so we'll see what happens um thank you Sandra you deserve it she said cool thank you um I want to dive into that a little bit just to pick your brain and get to know how you function and what's going on in here so if you were to be poet laureate what are some of the things that you would you would enact or how would you uh, go through your role? So my the whole pitch of my application was that I would be a poet laureate that really embraces the youth voice of Albuquerque, being that I work at a youth center already. Uh, so kind of just like already using the resources that I have control of or that I have access to and highlighting um, a lot of like the young, the young voice in Albuquerque that's actually really fucking brilliant and beautiful and like, really relevant right now and so um yeah we're 
we're specifically working with uh, young men of color in this grant that we got. And so um, one of the goals as Poet Laureate for me would be to do a retreat for all these young boys of color um, in the mountains and go like camping. Cause I feel like that's some masculine shit, right? Or like, it's always stereotyped as like super masculine, let's go camping and shit. Right. Um, but then I would like totally make their asses write beautiful wilderness poems, which I'd be like, no, you're gonna tap into like your feminine, like gentle side too. And you're gonna like look at nature and like just be in awe of it and write to it. And then we'll just like eat s'mores and, and go fishing in the lake and I don't know, do the camping thing. So I, I, but I want to take like a, like a shit ton of kids, uh, like at least 20 to 30 young men. And then also, you know, some of the, the youth that have always gone, um, including like, you know, the BNV kids from last year. And then some of the uh, trans and queer youth that we work with throughout the year anyway. And so kind of just like bringing everyone together, doing like a community camping trip, using it to like write some dope poetry and then publishing that poetry probably after the summer has ended. And so that's like a big, that was one of my uh, projects that I proposed in my application. And, and yeah, cause I love being, I love camping. Like it's, I go at least four times in the summer. And so I was like, it would be just dope to write up here and like be together around a fire and like share poetry, like ciphers around a fire are the sickest, I feel like. So. Especially after this like time of quarantine where we're told not to go outside, you know, like how desperate would somebody be to like have that connection with nature? It sounds right. Exactly. It really sounds like what you want to do is what you've already been doing and just elevating it to another level because you work a lot with the youth already, right? I do. Um, I am the youth program director or co-program director uh, with, at Warehouse 508, which is a youth arts and entertainment center and then um i also co-founded burki revolt and a big part of our mission is to be intergenerational and offer spaces that are safe for youth at all of our venues because you know most of the time poetry slams are in bars and breweries and stuff and so sometimes youth don't have access to those spaces but it's really important in albuquerque especially because there's a lot of um just there's a I mean all the factors that affect young people right there's gang violence street violence drugs um poverty you know low edge low on the education poll as far as like nationally and so uh, our young people need things to do right they need to stay out of trouble and so offering them spaces where they can be creative is a part of that process right it's it's allowing them to to find platforms or accessibility to other doors um, and, and so yeah when you were doing that uh what was your strategy for getting them in the door because i know that's um, we have events or we, we want to attract youth and uh you know one of the big problems out there is like well how do you get them there what, how, what was that message so the how how we operate or how we work a little bit is um we we found it was extremely difficult to get them in the door and coming to our community center to write poetry, right? Because it's like, you know, we can off, we can sit there for two hours on Saturday and wait for a kid to pop in. Like, oh yeah, I'm so ready to write poetry on a Saturday in a classroom setting that I do all week. Um, and that that is flopped like time and time again. And it's just like, these kids are like, they don't want to be in a classroom setting 
on the weekend or during after school, right? Because they're already in that setting all day long. And so we found it uh, valuable to go, instead of have them come to us, we go to them. And so we wrote a grant that would allow us to pay a couple of different poets in our community to do workshops in the classroom. Um, and then we found teachers who were willing to work with us and let us come in during like their creative writing hour, their English hour or a poetry club hour, like an extracurricular uh, hour. And so we started kind of just like spreading out and, and talking to teachers that were really willing to have us there. And uh, it started off small. It was just me volunteering every Friday at Albuquerque High, high School uh, at the lunch hour for poetry. And then that grew once we wrote the grant. So now instead of working with one school over three years, over time, we've started to now work with 10 schools, 10 to 15 schools, depending on what semester we're entering. And so that's also been affected by quarantine in this weird way because the teachers are so used to us being in their classrooms on certain days that um, I've had to do a couple of Zoom sessions too with kids. Uh, even though I'm not a teacher, I'm still like a poetry artist, teaching artist. And so Zoom with Zoom workshops has been where it's at for this quarantine period too. But anyway, um, we're in the classrooms and then we would kind of just highlight and promote the poetry slams and the opportunities to get involved in the community. Uh, we have them follow us on Instagram and cause email, nobody, no, no young kid checks their email. Yo, like nobody fucking checks their email. I don't even check my email. Right. And it's like, these kids love Instagram. Um, they love Twitter. I hate Twitter. So I had someone else create the Twitter account. Uh, but I do the Instagram. So I'm like, I'm just going to post on Instagram and have all these fools follow it and hopefully get some young people to come. And that's been pretty successful so far. Like we do the stats for who slams um, throughout the year. And the majority, if at, if at least 50%, if not more, are young people, are youth. And so it's, it's pretty dope to have just like an intergenerational group of folks. Um, I think the oldest person that participates is like 60, 60 years old and the youngest is 11. And so um, having that like wide range of generations, I think is super cool and dope and interesting. <laughs> I, got, I gotta say, you know, like uh, that strategy of like going into the classroom to do these poetry workshops versus like having after school things or weekend things like is so ingenious and, and obviously like so right you know for what you're trying to accomplish um i know when you know i toured through albuquerque you invited me to come and do some of these workshops and i gotta tell you like the kids that you have there like are so talented and it shows that the work that you've already done has impacted them so much because like i walked away from those sessions just being like now i'm inspired to write i'm supposed to inspire <laughs> you but nah you the youth in Albuquerque are brilliant. So props to you. Thank you. Oh, Chibi, they loved you, dude. They like talked about you for weeks afterwards. They're like, when is that? When is Chibi coming again? I'm like, when he tours again. <laughs> They're like, you should have him come again. I was like, it doesn't work that way. But when he does, when he comes back to Burke, I will definitely like let y'all know. <laughs> so it was, is, um, has working with the youth changed your own poetry? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, one, because I see the younger version of myself in their writing a lot. And I'm like, wow, that kid has like total potential to 
really grow and like change this line and do this. And then I'm like, I should probably take my own fucking advice and like write poems that I'm wanting them to write. And so it keeps me sharp. It keeps me on my toes. Um, it reminds me of the growth that has already been made listening to these young people. And then it teach it teaches me a lot too about like what they really care about um, and what's really important. Like what's the best way to stay uh, relevant or act active in what they they feel is super important. And so, yeah, it's definitely like a learning experience overall. Let's talk about that influencing in the writing because like, uh, so obviously your work with the youth has influenced you a lot as a poet, but also um, like your second poem was very, you know, abuelita heavy, you know, like chatita. Like, can we talk about chatita? Like how has your family influenced your poetry? Because growing up in a uh, very Mexican centric community, like family is everything. So how has that influenced your writing? Um, I think it's just one of the key identifiers of how I, how I write and what I write. Um, you know, I, one, I was trying to write when, as a younger poet, like a lot of times when you're young, you write for slam, right? Cause that's the only thing that's accessible to you at the time. And doing that is problematic because A, fuck poetry slam, it's not actually like real. <laughs> it's not a real meter of how like brilliant you are. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then B, like, you know, um, it was stressful because it's like, what do we write about? And finally a mentor of mine was just like, you need to stick to writing what you know. And I thought about that, it stuck with me forever. Like every time I write a poem, it's like, you know, write about what you know. And what I know the best, especially like you said, growing up in this very um, Chicano community is that like family is super big. It's important. It's like one of our number one uh, moral moral or value or uh, we, we, we cling tight to each other. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I started reflecting on growing up as a, as a Chicana in Albuquerque what that means now as an adult and the writing just kind of comes naturally when you do that when you reflect on like how far you've come who you are where you come from um and so yeah my family has inspired so much of my poetry it's ridiculous um and my chapita especially because uh she was my mom was really young when she had me and while my mom was out there like working two jobs and getting her, you know, diploma and getting her degree um, and trying to like hustle a really good job. My, you know, I was watched by, I was babysitted by my, my chata. And so my chata, my papa, my grandparents, they're the ones who taught me how to speak Spanish. Uh, you know, they're the ones who fed me arroz and frijoles every day. They're the ones that like would build some rascuache ass swing set out of wood and junk and like go play. And like, it's, it's like those memories that really make me who I am. And I'm like, yo, that's, that's so dope that I can reflect on that. Cause I don't feel like some people, some people have that, right. But some people don't. And so I take it, um, I don't take it for granted ever. I think about them every day. And then um, a lot of the times I think she taught me how to be uh, kind of the, the spiritual person that I am too, and how to be thankful and grateful for what we have even if it's not much, right? But we, I, like, I'm so blessed. I have so much to be thankful for. And I know that she is a big part in teaching me how to be thankful, um, how to, you know, how to really 
like connect spiritually with, with, um, the things that you believe in. Right. And so, yeah, I love, I love my grandparents. They're fine. This quarantine shit for them is like every day. Like they don't go anywhere. (laughs) They go, they like, at most they go to the casino sometimes and they're like, no, we're going to save money if we don't go. (laughs) So I'm like, cool. Just don't go to the casino then. but they love, they love home. Hey, uh, you know, you, you definitely have a, there's a, there's a spirituality in your pieces. And I'm thinking that you did, you know, what you just mentioned about from your grandmother, but I also see uh, a sense of storytelling. Uh, and I see that, you know, there's that, that one piece that uh, I saw of yours, uh, Yale and uh, it's the name of the street. Oh, Catherine and Yale. Catherine yeah. and Yale. And yeah. uh, I showed that to my students and they were, they, of course they, they really enjoyed. They were really affected by it. But um, I think some those poem, that poem, and some others have a, a sense of storytelling. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, I think um, I don't know what it is. I think poetry and storytelling go hand in hand. And I mean, as far as I've learned from what I've gathered or what I've been taught, is that um, we as Indigenous folks have been using poetry and storytelling way like a way 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 long time and so they're kind of just like intertwined together and it's in some communities it's called testimony or like um passing on the stories generation to generation to generation and so i think um storytelling kind of comes naturally in the writing sometimes because i think that's in a big way how um we've been taught how to communicate and how to to really um like harness each other in and hold each other tight because we remember the stories that we've been blessed with right or the stories that make us who we are and so um yeah i i've always been kind of a little story writer as a kid i used to write like little stories or make up movies and plays in my head all the time my mom used to think i was such such the weirdest kid because i'd be like talking to myself writing a story um and then naturally I never thought I was a poet because I was like, you know, poetry is the dead white guys that they teach in class. And so I never related to poetry ever um, until I saw Chicano poets um, perform. And then I was like, that's like, that's storytelling. That's a story. They're telling a story. It's not even so much a poem. Um, And then I learned you could do both. Like you can intertwine, you can have all these poetic devices um, or tools and intertwine it with the story that you're trying to tell and it comes out as a very um, intriguing story-like poem and so yeah that's just kind of the I feel like that kind of just comes naturally in my writing personally but I I do recognize that in a lot of indigenous poets the storytelling element is just there and I don't know if that's something that we've naturally inherited as like because that's been embedded in our communities for centuries or if it's something that you really have to work on and, and use your craft to like hammer out and stuff. So, yeah. When I was, when I was 17, I saw Jessica Helen Lopez, Carlos Contreras, Damian Flores, Joe Romero, Ken Rodriguez, Hakeem Bellamy. Um, they were like the first poets that I saw in my community um the veteranos right and I was like whoa like what the hell I didn't even know this could be poetry this whole time I'm thinking it's just Shakespeare Robert Frost or Walt Whitman and no they just like kicked my ass with poetry like I was in the audience like just so excited because I was like this is 
what I want to do too. Like, this is exactly what I've been doing my whole life. I just never had a word for it or like a name to call it other than storytelling or creating stories. Right. Um, and so they, they were like, now they're all my really good homies and I love them all to death. And we've had some really good memories together. But before I was so starstruck, I was like, damn, like these poets are putting in work. They're like making me feel all jittery inside and like full of, full of happiness and joy and connection and love. It's, it was awesome. It was a good, it was just like a great moment. I'm glad it happened. It seems to be a common connection amongst uh, um, writers of color is, especially in poetry, where it's like, we didn't really embrace it instinctually. We had our own forms of it until we saw somebody else, a lot of times in slam, show us that our voices do matter and the way that we speak and the way that we write is entirely valid. It isn't all dead white guys, you know? Yep. And this idea of storytelling, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Like it goes into our history, like this oral tradition that indigenous and Latinx folks have always had. Like, I remember when we would go to bed as kids, like uh, my dad would like tell us stories, but he would tell us stories of his childhood. He wouldn't read from a book without him like telling us his stories, you know? Yeah, yeah. My grandpa is like the biggest storyteller. He'd always tell me these wild stories, like these crazy stories. And I'd be like, where do you get this shit from? <laughs> and I think I, that's naturally something I've like inherited from him because he would tell us some crazy stories either to scare us or just to entertain us. Like it was, What's the it was craziest cool. one you can think of right now, just off the top of your head. I don't know if this is a common story between like Mexican families, but he told me this story about destiny and like he's like you want to know what destiny is and i'd be like yeah what's what is it and he's like so a man you know one time climbed a mountain and in the mountain he found a bruja and the bruja basically told him his future by reading his palm and she was like you're gonna end up killing your parents and your wife one day and um he was like no that's crazy like i would never do that you're you're a crazy old bruja and so he climbed down the mountain and when he got home he saw his wife having an affair with some other dude in the bed and so he got his shotgun this is a crazy story i'm telling you i was like like five when i heard this shit so he got his shotgun and he killed the people in the bed because he thought it was his wife and some other dude and then the wife came in and was like you those are your parents they came to visit those are your parents and i was like what the hell like this is such a crazy story so then he the the fortune came true and then um he ended up like leaving <laughs> he ended up leaving his house and being punished because for what in whatever world this was he had to go to a lion's den to be punished and so he was in the lion's den <laughs> i'm telling you it's a crazy story he was in the lion's den and this lion was crying and he, um, he, you know, he finally like approached the lion and he was able to pull a little thorn out of the lion's paw and the lion never ate him. And then that's as far as I remember. Like he just lived in the lion's den after he killed his parents. Like he yeah, shunned that's himself. That's and a story. And, and I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to break it all down, but it sounds like a combination. Uh, it sounds like a, a, a Chicano station of uh, Oedipus Rex and Daniel. Yeah. yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that that sounds about right to me. But like somewhere there was a, an ancestor 
who heard the original Oedipus Rex and said, no, 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 no. It's like, you know, right? <laughs> and then like, you know, and then, and then changed it all up uh, for the hinting, you know? Yeah. For real. And so he, he would tell us that story and I don't know what the purpose of it was, but I think it was just like, <laughs> I just want to see you guys flip the fuck out. Like, I just want to see your faces. And I would be like, that's not a real story. He'd be like, yes, it is, Miha. Destiny. It's a part of destiny. And I'd be like, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, he would tell me that story. Um, and then, you know, like the story of La Llorona and the Chupacabra and the Cucuy and whatever else. Yes, <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the avenues that we have to tell our stories. Um, a couple years ago, I want to say what it's been like two years, right? You started I think two years ago was your you guys' first time in nationals. I mean, the time time is a construct. So tell us a little bit about Budke Revolt. What what is it? Why was it started? What's happening? Um, oof, that's a story. Um. So basically, <laughs> uh, well, Albuquerque's always had a really um, vibrant poetry community. Uh, since you know, Poetry Slam started in the '80s, we've we've gone to like all the national events, and we've sent teams, and those teams have done fairly well, and yada yada yada. Um, but I was, you know, I grew up in that scene, so I take pride in being that I'm like, yo, I'm a poet from Burke, like till day to the day I die for sure. Uh, but I was, a lot of us in the community were really noticing that some of the spaces weren't accessible for everybody. And that becomes a problem when that's the status quo for like 20 plus years. Right. Um, so we were like, yo, it's, it's dope that our scene is dope and that, you know, we, we are nationally like recognized or whatever, but how cool would it be if like all these other folks in the community got in on this too? Um, and so the goal was to create, uh, again, spaces for youth, right, to access, you know, maybe not just the youth slam, but maybe the, the other slams too. Um, so make, finding venues that were going to allow young people to be in the venue past a certain time without, you know, worrying if they're 21 or not was pretty huge. Um, so that was one of our goals, right, to keep venues youth friendly and accessible. Uh, but another another goal of ours was to start creating these specialized spaces for members of our community who wouldn't otherwise feel as safe or brave or comfortable in spaces that are super male dominated. And so, um, you know, just like Walks was kind of created in that same spirit, we decided to um, create this show called Women of Color Open Mic Woke. And actually the person who like came up with that and wanted to like run that show was a 14 year old uh, youth that has been in our poetry community for a long time. And all her 14 years of life, she was like, hey, I'm 14 and I wanna start this woman of color open mic. And I would really love if you guys would back me up on it. And so we were like, fuck yeah, like that's, that's totally dope that you're thinking of that at such a young age. And so uh, shout out to Sarita Sol Gonzalez. She's our hostess with the mostest, our FEMC for our women of color open mic. And then um, that space obviously is for women of color. And then my homegirl, Eva Crespin, who is often seen doing duets and group pieces with me. Um, she, her and her partner were like, there, you know, there isn't a, really a space for our queer and trans folks, our two-spirited folks um, to feel like, you know, that's their space. 
So they created uh, respira, which means breathe, if you didn't know in Spanish. And that, that open mic and slam served to create, cultivate a space for uh, trans, queer, people of color and youth. And so that's that space. And then we do obviously a youth slam for our young folks, kind of just to set up a team to send them to B&B. Uh, and then we do a college open mic and slam so that we can send a team to Cup C. And then Burki Revolt, kind of like the hub of everything, is the team we send to national and regional events. And so it's it's all this big umbrella, but there's at least five shows, uh, like an executive committee of 12 people, and we're all like working nonstop to cultivate space for many different people in Albuquerque. Sounds like there, there is no shortage of poetry in the city of Albuquerque. So that there's, there's not. There's like, I think there's like eight shows happening a month. Mm. Um, some there's like twice a week. We do five alone. So like the other shows yeah. and the other um, the, that the other people are running, man. It's it's kind of crazy how how much how much is going on. But it's it's awesome and it's brilliant too to see like so much is happening behind poetry. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty, pretty lucky to have people that really give a shit about creating poetry spaces yeah. in, in Burke. It's, uh, speaking of, of Burke and this rich heritage of poetry, um, there's also a pretty rich heritage, uh, I'm, I'm thinking because of the university there and because of the culture of, um, of some page poets, some literary poets. Um, is there, um, a lot of connection uh, between the, those communities, the, the page poets and the stage poets? You know, I think that relationship is complicated more than I would say it's like, yeah, we totally all get together all the time um, because I think academia plays a huge part in that, right? Like, I think, you know, SLAM is, is that vehicle of like, you don't have to have a degree or being a creative writing class 101 at the university to be a poet, you can just show up and spit on the mic and you know, that's, that's it, right? Um, so SLAM obviously makes shit accessible for people that don't otherwise have the privilege or the means to go to college um, or you know, study whatever they're studying. Uh, so I think there could be more connection for sure amongst literary page poets, you know, strictly literary page poets and strictly, I guess, performative spoken word poets that's always been like an argument I feel like in every scene right like what differs what differentiates between a slam poet and a page poet um but I think where the the bridges are starting to like be built um Levi Romero who is our centennial New Mexico poet laureate the state poet laureate uh he's always been super involved with what we're doing with slam poetry using that as a tool to teach his some of his classes at the University of New Mexico because he is a professor. Um, the same with Jessica Helen Lopez. She uses, um, you know, the community events, the outreach, the slam poetry, the performance aspect of it a lot in her classrooms in college too at the at UNM. And then Carlos Contreras, same, same thing. So we're, we're finding the bridges that are like now making academia a little less like rigid and strict on like what is considered a poet. And we're transforming that through um, the ethnic studies programs. So the big one is Chicano studies, obviously, because that's where all our adjunct instructors are 
you know, teaching classes, um, but they're, they're using their experience in SLAM and bringing it into the college classrooms as well. And so I think now more than ever, we're starting to blend and, and become one big, large community. Um, and so I, I was going to say, you know, like, what would be the perfect way to bridge that then making you the new poet laureate of Albuquerque? That would be awesome. I don't want to jinx it, but I hope so. Like, knock I would really wood. love that. Knock on wood. Let me ask you something here, uh, because you, you mentioned, you know, Burke Revolts, the team that, like, sends, uh, is, is the, group, the group, the show that sends teams to regional and national competitions. No tea, no shade, and I know it sucks, but how relieved are you that you will not have to drive all the way to Florida this summer? <laughs> Oh, fuck. Super relieved. Because you know what? I made that drive to North Carolina for Southern Fried. Oh, man. Talk about talk about a drive. Like, I was like, yo, I can drive fucking anywhere. If I can drive from Bukit all the way to North Carolina, like, I'm a road warrior for sure. Um, but super relieved that we don't have to drive to Tampa Bay um, because we were going to do it. We were like, if, if, if these flights, you know, aren't on the cheap, and we don't get this money, like, we're just going to drive, you like, that's just what we're going to have to do. Um, or, you know, find some alternative regional or slam that's closer. But, you know, Southern Fried was so fun last year that we were kind of hoping to go again. And so, yeah, we loved it. It's a phenomenal event. But yeah, I, I remember when I heard that uh, when we were in North Carolina, and you said that you guys drove there and were driving back. I'm like, our drive is like 21 hours. I don't even want to think about your what your drive was so i i think 60 hours total like there and back um because it was 30 on the way there 30 roughly on the way back and those were with like obviously stops at gas stations and eating we went to waffle house i think like it's all a blur it's like one big experience at waffle house but i'm pretty sure we stopped at a waffle house like somewhere in alabama and then like somewhere like closer to north carolina and yeah, it was the South traveling through the South was was interesting for it's, sure. It's an the, the important question is when you got back, how much time did you have before you could see these people again? <laughs> I think you know, I I never get that time to kind of like re recoup or like get it like you know, reset myself for some people's energy. Because, um, like, I, I spearhead a lot of the things going on. And so sometimes I just have to work with people, no matter if I just spent 60 hours in a car with them. Luckily, though, uh, the team we took, I love all of them. Like, they have all, they all, like, hold such a dear place in my heart. It wasn't a drama. Like, one of those teams with some, like, bad blood or drama. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was three weeks that we got, like, tops. Um, but... That was like three weeks of like we would see each other here and there for workshops and you know stuff that we had to do that we've already promised to. Um, but yeah, I didn't get a lot of time to not see them. <laughs> I had to kind of see them right away. Y'all gave me a ride back uh, to the host hotel once, and it was your whole team, and y'all were like you had such chemistry with each other. <laughs> you know, each other's senses, and and you actually like I think like you dropped a joke, and everybody else knew the punchline anyway, and we we all laughed no matter what, you know. Yeah, like, like, it was it was so magical. It was so magical. They the love my jokes, or at least they tell me they love my jokes. Because if not, you know, I'm like. 
get out of the car. Just kidding. Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because we only got a few more minutes left. Uh, with Southern Fright not happening this summer, what are you looking forward to doing this summer if we are allowed to have a summer? Uh, well, we definitely registered for internationals in Dallas. Um, so if that happens, We'll, we'll yeah <laughs> we'll uh we'll definitely hopefully send a team no matter how last minute pickup ish that team fails or seems uh because we we did pay so that's something we're looking forward to um and then yeah i think more so just working with uh the young people and creating like a again a poetry summer camp of sorts that's something i feel like our our team is looking forward to too um, and then just getting back to, um, not normal because I feel like maybe the, the new normal is going to be completely different from what was normal before, but getting back to that kind of, um, community feeling of being able to just come to the poetry sounds and see each other and hug each other and stuff. Uh, Manuel Gonzalez, who was the poet laureate, I think four years ago, he suggested like a huge pachanga between all the poetry slam communities in Albuquerque. So we just throw this huge ass party, poetry, open mic, whatever, you know, we have DJ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like everyone who's a poet come through and, and just have like this big, like reopening party. Um, and then just do like a huge cipher and dance and laugh and, you know, just vibe and connect again face to face. So. I think we're all looking forward to something like yeah. that. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the flights are really cheap right now, so maybe um, we'll join you. You should. <laughs> you should come through. Or we could we could go to San Antonio, and then you guys can come to Burke or vice versa. Like, it would just be dope just to connect. Real quick before we leave, you keep saying Burke, and most people say Albuquerque. What's the difference between Burke and Albuquerque? Um, so when the Spanish colonized Albuquerque, they, you know, you would say Albuquerque, and they, there's an extra R in Albuquerque, um, Albuquerque, and so uh, white people though just didn't know how to fucking say Albuquerque, like most things that require you to roll your R's, and so uh, they changed the name officially to Albuquerque so that you wouldn't have that extra R. Um, so all the old timers were like, fuck that, like we're Albuquerque. And that became uh, kind of long for them to say too, apparently. And so they just shortened it to Burke. And that kind of highlights that R that went missing or got erased uh, when the when the land, when the name of the city got switched to Albuquerque. Um, so anybody who's like from a hood or a barrio or like has has connections with some of like the OGs or the veteranos in Albuquerque they know that the city is called Burke. And so kind of like a slang word for it or like a slang name for Albuquerque, but there's no difference, only that Albuquerque is like the official name of our city and Burke is what we call it if you are, um, like if you are from, you know, the neighborhoods. And so, so yeah, that's, so I, I call it Burke. <laughs> that, that, sure. That's really interesting. And I love the, the history of that. Um, one more question, and then we're going to let you close with the poem. Um, and this question actually came from Rooster. He put it in the chat earlier. Uh, you obviously have a very strong connection to your indigenous and, and Latinx um, 
heritage. You represent that heritage very much so, both in your writing and your style and in the things that you do. Um, you're a proud Chicana woman. Like, so the question was, uh, what do you think are the next big steps for Latinx and Mexican-American poets in writing and media in general? Oh, man. Um, I know, it's kind of heavy. That's a big question, Rooster. What the heck? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, I think what's next, I've been thinking actually about this like for two days because someone had brought to my attention that like um, the whole scandal with American Dirt, that book, that fucking book, man. Um, and that like, you know, a lot of the commentary was like, you know, well, they were they were criticizing what's her fucking face for saying like i wish i was browner so that i when we're when writing this story right and then a lot of people were comment commenting shit like you know uh well if you know she wasn't gonna write it brown people weren't right and just like this negative shit of like where where are the latinx writers and why haven't we published something like this and the answer is like we fucking have you know like <laughs> we like what do you mean you know like it, this we have we definitely have um so i my my dream or vision or like i guess collective manifestation of is finding more presses or you know like public publishing presses that um go big that go like really big so that it's not just white people publishing our shit or white people publishing white people shit pretending to be our shit um so definitely like hopefully I feel like as writers, maybe we can like link up, bring our resources together and create just like a dope press that only maybe um, publishes the work of like indigenous Latinx, Afro Latinx folks, right? And like highlights that and those stories by actual people who fucking write the shit that they actually go through. And so, yeah, I would love to see that happen. I would love to manifest that into the universe and like hopefully people like come together to do that um so that we don't have any more scandalous shit like that happen and then you know like we don't have to deal with with people like stealing the, the stories we've always claimed as our own and stuff um so that's kind of like i guess where I, my answer for that question and then also just opening the door um for younger younger writers um i think another another part of that equation with that book and I think me and Eddie actually were on the same thread talking about this shit when it when it popped off. But we there was a like a huge deal with Sandra Cisneros endorsing that shit or like, you know, be abiding by that. And I was like, yo, like Sandra was like the first Chicana woman I read in, you know, my my college classes. I had to analyze and and read her poetry and like, you know, connect to that. And so um, you know, and then a big part of that was like, is she selling out by endorsing that book is she not opening the door for others there was all this like chisme going on about it um so my thing would be like let i wish the conversation would be about you know instead of her endorsing this shitty book it would be about like yo can i open the door for other young Lat actual latinx writers um can i endorse those kinds of things and i'm not just saying just her i'm just saying like in general um, these bigger names, I think as we grow or as we become more advanced in our writing and our craft, as we become more noticed, um, it is like a responsibility to open the door for that next young cat coming through. Like, 
yo, like this person is really dope. Like let's bring them on board. Let's show them the ropes. And like if I'd have, if I had a dollar for every time like a poet or a veterano did that for me, man, like, you know, I wouldn't be exactly super rich, but like I would have more than at least $20. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But that's a lot of opportunity um, from people simply just passing on that torch or opening that door for me. Um, and like, you know, I don't think I'd be the poet I am today unless those people stepped in as uh, mentors in, in different capacities. And so I think mentorship um, in, in being able to pass down opportunities, mentor young people in those opportunities, and then have them do the same thing generation to generation, that becomes like a way bigger impact, I think, for, for Latinx, indigenous, Chicano, Afro-Latino folks. Yeah. For what sure. Fantastic answer. And I'm, I like, you're exactly right. Um, I'm glad we didn't start with that question because we can spend a whole nother hour like just dissecting <laughs> that answer and diving into it because there's so much that you said in there that, that is so valid and so worthy and that deserves so much consideration. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I speak for myself and I think for Eddie too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I've thoroughly enjoyed this and uh, looking forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Um, you know, maybe even like in that book form so we can distribute that to more, more people. Yeah, for because sure. Because the kids need to see that there are words out there uh, by people that look like them and sound like them. For sure. Okay. Thank you, Eddie. I, I do have two books published already. Um, just a quick plug. If you're so inclined to purchase my work, you can go on to Amazon. I know it's not the favorable place to get shit from right now or where, like in general, but um, my publisher does sell my work on Amazon. You can definitely cop a copy of either one of my publications. If you look up Swimming with Elephants Publications, and you type in my name, both my public, three of my publications will come up and you're more than welcome to purchase any of those. So. All right. So, Swimming with Elephants is the name of the publisher? Yep. And uh, you, um, and the names of your books? Uh, my first publication was called My Blood is Beautiful. And then um, my second publication is I Bloomed a Resistance from My Mouth. I know it's a long title. People told me to short And then the last, the last publication is actually a joint publication. Me and my homegirl Eva collaborated on a book together, and then toured all of California last summer or last spring. Um, so that book is called Chicana Revolts, and that's Chicana with an X, like the mestiz, the mestiza or the mexica. So. Got it. All right. So if you want. Uh, uh, read some more of her work. Go find it on Amazon, Swimming with Elephants publication. Um, support local artists, you know, support indie artists as much as you can during this time. Um, but right now, Mercedes, this conversation has been fantastic. I just want to uh, let you close it out with one more poem uh, before we go. So please, bless us and let some more. Cool. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll end with this poem and then I hope you have uh, a beautiful, magical, blessed, awesome night. So uh, this poem is called Chisme and Lavender Caramel Coffee. Hey, you girl, 
with your hair tangled into a bird's nest, face like West Mesa, full of red dirt hills popping out of the surface, and blackheads like petroglyphs, wearing your favorite baggy sweatpants and a hoodie you've worn for the last five days. You should know you are beautiful. Don't let Instagram models convince you otherwise they are beautiful too. Beautiful is a word that means many things and you should know you are one of its many definitions. So instead of folding into yourself, say thank you, I know. No, it is not a conceited response. It is fact. Fact 143, your voice is a gift that has yet opened itself all the way. So when you're having girl time over lavender caramel coffee, chocolate croissants, and some very important chisme at some hipster coffee shop that popped up in your neighborhood, and the white lady at table over apologizes to her client, I'm so sorry we're having such a hard time hearing each other. The girls next to us are just being so loud. You don't stop speaking at the volume you are currently using. It is taking you time to be that comfortable being that loud in public besides she has already apologized for you and who the hell is she to demand a quiet workspace in your presence when she probably has an office somewhere in the gentrified trenches of your city that you would never dream or care to step foot in with your sonic boom cotton wood falling in the bosque voice be proud mama the women in your family have swallowed their voice boxes countless of times just so you can chismear at the loudest of levels. Cool. Yay! Yay! I love you guys. Thank you so much for having me. I thank miss your faces, and I hope to see you very soon. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I know we went a little bit over time, people. I'm sorry. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, we love your work. We love this conversation that we had. Uh, thank you, Eddie, for helping us drive the conversation along. Um, thank you for everyone that joined us this week. Uh, as always, we are here every week at 7.30 for a conversation with another writer. Next week, we have National Slam champion, Eddie Perry, joining us. That's going to be a fire conversation and some firework. Um, so we'll be posting that later, later, later. I think we're good. <laughs> I think we're good. Thanks, thanks again, Mercedes. As always, uh, thank you for everything that you give to us and to the poetry community. And uh, we look forward to, to seeing you again sometime. That was Mercedes Holtree, everyone. Eddie Vega joining us as a co-host. My name is Chibi. This has been fantastic. Uh, tonight has really been absolutely fantastic. My heart is full. Thank you for everybody for joining us. Snaps, claps, take care of yourself, stay home. You go out, wear a mask, stay six feet away, social distance, all that fun stuff, and we will see you in the new world, everybody. Good night. And that was our conversation with Albuquerque poet Mercedes Holtry. Again, if you are interested in finding more of her work, you can find it on Amazon or on swimmingwithelephants.com. And if you've enjoyed any of the conversations that we've had with our poets, please, please, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you can. You can also find new information about upcoming shows and other initiatives that the Blah Poetry Spot is putting on by following the Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook or Write Art Out 
on Instagram. That's The Blah Poetry Spot, B-L-A-H, on Facebook, or Write Art Out, that's W-R-I-T-E-A-R-T-O-U-T, on Instagram. My name is Chibi. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Until next time, remember to take care of yourselves and each other.